Hey friends, it's Kara Kay, and this is the Asking for a Friend podcast, a weekly show for the woman who has questions about herself, the church, and the world. We are all asking hard questions that affect us as women in the culture that surrounds us, and we are looking for a safe space to ask them. But don't worry, I know you're only asking for a friend. So many churches, I feel like, avoid talking about sex because sex is something the world talks about. And in order to counteract the world, a lot of times the church will tiptoe around the topic of sex and and even make this topic out to be scary. So typically, I'll say typically because not always, but the church doesn't typically offer ways for people to navigate these conversations. And instead, we just hear the typical messages of wait for marriage and then threats almost that this message can deliver. And so many times Christians will grow up to develop fears about their bodies, their sex drives, and try to shove down unwanted or misunderstood desires. So today we are tackling the question, why does the church not talk about sex? And I have invited Mo Isom to join me in this discussion. I recently just read her book, Um, Sex, Jesus, and Conversations the Church Forgot. And I loved, loved, loved this book. I can't recommend it enough. It had such a huge impact on me, helping me navigate some of these things that I had always had questions about and, and struggled with. And so I really encourage you guys to get that book. But welcome, Mo. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. It is a treat to be on. I'm, I'm love that you're cultivating this conversation. Um, and I love too, that, that the book blessed you, uh, It truly was intended to be, I mean, it's a big, rich, deep, wide conversation, but Mm -hmm. it was intended to do this very thing, to start to cultivate right-natured conversation, and so I'm glad it blessed you in that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So can you just share a little about yourself? Tell us um, kind of about you a little bit, your family, so we can get to know you a little bit. Sure. Um, So my name is Mo. (laughs) I live, uh, my my family and I live just outside of the Atlanta area. I am married to my husband, Jeremiah, of a little over five years now. We have three tiny humans to show for it already. (laughs) A a four-year-old Auden, a two-year-old Asher, and an 11-month-old Ronan. And we um, work together, really. We have a co-laborer, Brittany, we work together in a ministry called Bold Life Initiative, and um, really our heart ministerially is to do the very thing we're talking about, is to speak into kind of the quieter areas, is to cultivate the harder conversations, is to, you know, compel people to really, really what we say is to draw the professed believer deeper, um, always yeah, knowing there is more, further, deeper um, you know, wider places to go with God. And that's the beauty of living really a life of radical, bold faith is that we never get comfortable. We always continue to press towards the heart of God. And a lot of the times it actually makes us quite uncomfortable. (laughs) It takes us into uncharted area that, uh, you know, Jesus was very unafraid to navigate the uncharted taboo area. And, Mm um, we, we like, to walk in step with the spirit and where he would lead for us to really call the body of Christ up to doing more of the same. And so that looks like, um, so far it's looked like writing books. It's looked like traveling and ministering across the the country, even in different parts of the world. And 
Um, we love doing it as a family and as a team. We consider family like this multi-generational team on mission together. So everybody has an important part in the process. But yeah, it's it's a joy. I, I was I grew up an athlete. I guess that's probably what most people would know. I was a, an All-American collegiate athlete and played soccer at LSU and trained with the men's football team for a while and, you know, had some really neat things, I guess, of... Um, platformed notice uh, athletically, right, right. but it was in college that I came to know Christ really radically. And I had endured eating disorder, you know, identity issues, perfectionism, the suicide of my father, promiscuity, self-harm, a lot of just mess. And when mm -hmm. I came to know Christ in a really radical way, it just transformed everything. And so our joy and, and the, the joy of my heart since coming to know Jesus has been Allowing all that crap that was navigated through uh -huh. all those chains that the enemy tried to use to bind a life of purpose and a life of wholeness, taking those chains and binding the enemy up with them by the power of the right. Holy Spirit, speaking into that messy stuff and really seeing people set free. So oh, that's, that's so our, good. that's our mission at hand, I guess, in so many words. Yeah, that's so great. Um, that has been a huge calling that God has put on my life as well, um, mm -hmm. which is one of the points of this podcast is really to help people navigate these conversations and questions that they have, but they don't know where to start or they feel uncomfortable. And so just helping people see that we can ask hard questions and we can go deeper with things. And that's a good thing. And it helps deepen our relationship with God. So mm -hmm. yeah. I'm excited Amen. to talk about this. First question I have for you, um, I like to just get into it real quick here. Let's do it. That's my style. So why do you think the church stays silent on this topic? Well, to also not waste time and get into it deeply quickly, uh, because the professed body of believers are struggling with the exact same sin struggles as the world. Yes. You know, sex yes. and sexuality is such an area that cyclically, really generationally, has been misunderstood or avoided completely in discussion or um, an area of struggle and shame. We've been silenced by shame or cultivated wrongly the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's been such a pervasive struggle over time. It's just kind of created these cyclical patterns of sin, then shame, then silence, then sin, then shame, then silence. And generation to generation, um, we've seen the same, you know, issues that, that really permeate our culture and permeate the world wield themselves as a weapon against the church. Right. Because we're human and because we haven't tackled head on and open hearted, just filleted wide open to say, God, what do you have to say about this? What does your word say about this? What is your Holy Spirit revealing and longing to uproot and to heal and to revive and to bring revelation of understanding around? We really have failed to humble ourselves before the Lord. And we stand, you know, a lot of the times we'll stand at the, at the pulpit and shake our frustrated fist at like the failing morality of the world. But really, we're just kind of putting band-aids on symptoms versus digging deep and saying, what's the root of the heart struggle here? What is, is causing 
the sin in the world and in the church. What is at the heart of man here that is broken and lost and deceived or confused that is really causing so many of these symptomatic struggles? And how can we as the body of Christ candidly yet appropriately um, reclaim the sanctity of sex for the glory of God? Because sex is God's invention. It's actually a gift from God, actually a weapon against the enemy in the right context. In the, in the sanctions of what he designed it for, it becomes a powerful unifying tangler of souls that is, oh man, transformational that actually prophesies the gospel of oneness, um, of coming together in vulnerability and transparency and allowing love to transform the condition of our hearts. This is what it is intended in marriage that in coming together we are then fruitful that we multiply and this even prophesies the gospel that in vulnerability and transparency we come together with Christ rhythmically and beautifully and we allow that revealing intimacy with God to actually transform our hearts that spiritually we may be fruitful and multiply because of the intimate love we know with God this is the, these are the deeper layers that sex was always intended by God for his people to know and to understand rightly as they rightly reflect his character and his nature and his love for us. But because we, we haven't dug deep to the heart of this stuff, mm-hmm. we've bought into this taboo. We've allowed the world to really steal the conversation and it's a screaming yes. match there. They're unafraid to talk about anything and everything. It's become Absolutely. you know, voyeuristic and entertainment and body parts made for our pleasure rather than image bearing creations of God that we just watch and it's pandering and it's perverted and it's stolen the, the beautiful sanctity of this gift and just made it worldly and fleshly. And it's become the very weapon that the enemy wields against us. Like always intended to be a weapon against him. And when it's in the wrong context, it's just the sword he takes and sears us with it. And so, (laughs) sorry, it's a long-winded answer. I get passionate about the topic. No, it's great. I I think the reason we've struggled to to cultivate the conversation is because we haven't pressed into the heart of God to say, teach Mm, me. That's good. Show me. And, And I'll be brave and I'll go first in sharing truth. We'll see what you do with it from there, Lord. But it begins with me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Humble me and yeah. teach me. And, and, and then I'll, I'll share what I learned in the quiet place with you. I'll share that um, to all those who, who need to know healing and hope and truth. Right. The church walks a lot through, in the way that I have seen the church actually approach this. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the church. Um, that's my backstory is, you know, I grew up in a pretty conservative church in a small town. And all I heard was true love waits and mm-hmm. all about the purity culture. And I grew up kind of in that time. And it felt more harmful than than helpful. Yeah. At the time, I don't think I really understood that it was, but as I began to grow and went off to college and, you know, started understanding and seeing more about the world, that, that purity culture became a very harmful thing to me. Um, as I'm sure it did to so many people that grew up in that, I think we were expected, you know, as you're growing to be a young adult, okay, you have to turn off this sex drive. You have to, you know, 
ignore that and then you get married and you're expected to immediately flip the switch on this thing right and and you're good (laughs) everything's fine and it's funny I always think of there was a movie um just married Mm -hmm. I think it was like 90s or maybe two early 2000s but I think it was Brittany Murphy and she gets married and then she's the the day after her wedding, she's like, my daddy knows I'm not a virgin anymore. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, she's just sitting on the bed crying. And it's that picture has always stuck in my mind because Mm -hmm. it's just, I mean, it's funny for one thing, but it's like, that's, that's the thing. We're expected to just flip the switch on this. Right. And it's supposed to be amazing. And it's supposed to be this great thing, but we haven't been brought up of understanding the purpose of it. And, and really understanding how to walk into this. And we just feel shame and all of those things. And how have you walked through that with people who have gone through this, you know, purity culture and, and really struggled with that of flipping the switch once they are married and right. And then feeling comfortable in their sex life with their spouse. Yeah. It's everything you're saying. So, so true. And the, the way that I've learned to walk through it with others is truly through testimony because in many yeah. ways it was, it was my narrative as well. You know, we, we hear a lot about virginity um, right. from the church and that's great. That, that should be the byproduct, you know, yeah. but it's also not the story for some. And so when, when, when this, the conversation of sex centers around, before marriage, deny, 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 bad, bad, wrong, right. wrong, gross, gross, don't do it. Anyone who has navigated that or had that taken from them or, you know, lost that, it, it really becomes something that excludes them from the gospel's involvement in this, right. as well as something that becomes a self-righteous works-based effort from those yes. who still maintain it. And so my struggle was that I grew up hearing a lot about virginity and I, mm-hmm. you know, at nine years old made this bold proclamation when my mother one day explained in a conversation, you know, that she had been a virgin till she was married and my father had also, and that God wanted us to be. And when we come together, you know, it was like a good hearted conversation, but it was cut short by me cutting the conversation short by making, Oh, well then I too, you know, I'll take this vain vow, like not knowing it's vain at the time, but like, right. I made this great proclamation of virginity and wore it like this badge of honor yet behind closed doors was exposed to porn and began Mm -hmm. to navigate an addiction really to pornography was, you know, involved with older kids who were teaching and telling me all that they knew and thought and hurt started to push the envelope, you know, with peers as I matured and the temptation became real. And what happens when it is solely a conversation of virginity, but we never move to the heart and the deeper whys of purity that more often in his word than he speaks of virginity, he speaks of purity that is of pure heart, of pure mind, of pure actions, of pure word, that our whole heart would be transformed and aligned with the heart of God, which is to live in dependence on him and holiness in all things 
when it becomes simply this virginity vow, it, it really becomes this works-based answer to a life surrender right. question. He's saying, right. I want every bit of you, all of you, sexuality and beyond. I want all of your heart that it would be pure in pursuing me. And what happens is our question, as we start to navigate the gray area is like, okay, then how far is too far? Like yes. if I'm just focused on this, you know, purity pledge and this ring I'm wearing and this, right. you know, virginity vow, then like, what can I get away with? And, yes. and that was me. I just pushed the, the envelope as far as it could possibly go. And yeah. somehow was blind to the fact, was self-righteous in the thought that, Oh, I'm not struggling in the same way all these other girls who are giving themselves away are. What a, what a, mm -hmm. I made them smaller in my self-righteousness yeah. and right. yet was addicted to pornography, was struggling with, you know, enslavement to my flesh in self-pleasure. It was promoting things from just such an ill heart posture and yet waving this vain virgin banner. And and then I got to the altar finally. I mean, I came to know Jesus. He began to transform so much. And when I got married, I thought, man, finally, okay, I say I do. And this baggage stays here. Like right. <laughs> all of this sin, all of these struggles leading up to then coming to know Jesus, all he, you know, revealed to me, but then struggling still in my engagement, you know, all this, thank goodness, I'll say I do. And it'll all be fine. Like, right. And then I said, I do. And I wept through my honeymoon, like, <laughs> because nothing was fine. Yeah. It was suddenly all of these false expectations, this baggage just changes form and you just carry it into a covenant. Like, yeah. right. and, and it, what was so debilitating was that I had never, I'd never heard anyone teach or unpack or tackle these things or help me peel them back. So I'd heard the church say, wait till you're married, wait till you're married, all about just waiting till you're married. And then I got married and whether I had waited or not, there was sin I was bringing in because my heart was impure. I didn't know healing and wholeness and redemption and what he comes to reveal and restore. And I, I grieve that there are many. In fact, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because after I did get married and we started to like realize oh my goodness, these are not separate things. Like we have to invite Jesus into the bedroom. As weird as that sounds, as uncomfortable as that makes people, like the virginity vow didn't prove to be everything that it promised to be. Right. The right. promiscuity didn't pr prove to be anything it promised to be. The, the wedding vow, hoping it would change everything, didn't prove to do that. So what we have to do is we have to start right now. And we have to invite Jesus into this whole equation. These aren't separate things, faith and sexuality, God and, you know, sex and marriage. These aren't separate things. They're one. They're from him. They're of him. And he has a lot to say about them in every season. His word is chocked full of conversation around sex and sexuality. And so right. it has to start for us right now to say, uh, deconstruct and undo and unpack all of this false stuff that we've been deceived by or that's become a yoke upon us. And mm -hmm. God, please minister healing to us, like walk us step by step. And when we started to really navigate that journey, I, I came across this blog post. I mean, we were starting to know real strides of freedom, real strides of restoration. Like, and it is hard. It's hard yeah. work. 
Right, right. But I came across this blog post that went viral that was a girl basically writing from the perspective of, I waited until I was married to have sex and I regret it completely. It's nothing that I thought it would be. It's, it's you know, I'm grieving, I'm torn, I'm wounded. But she was propagating this message from a wounded heart posture of this isn't worth it. And yeah. suddenly something just seared in my soul. And I was like, whoa, we're so wounded now, even as a church body, we're propagating yes. the wrong message. Yeah. And so we got to rewind. We got to undo. Like we got to start to have this conversation rightly and admit, hey, I totally feel you, but this is all that Jesus has to say about it. And this mm -hmm. is where we went wrong. His call to purity and holiness isn't wrong. Our cultivation of the conversation has been. And so yes. what does it look like to cultivate that rightly? I can relate so much to your story. Um, and it's it's crazy because I thought, well, I got married. My husband and I have a great relationship. It, it was hard for me to flip that switch. Um, mm -hmm. And I struggled, but I didn't think I was struggling that much. Right. And we had been married 12 years, 12 wow. years before I realized I was still carrying shame from my past mm. and unpacked, you know, trauma and things that I just had never even, I had just shoved it down so far and thought, well, I don't need to talk about this. I don't mm. need to work through this. It's all in my past. It's not a big deal mm. because, because I did keep that vow intact. And it's funny now, like I look back and I actually gave my husband my purity ring on our wedding day, which mm. now it's like, it just makes me giggle because <laughs> I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like I was so naive because I just didn't understand at the time. I didn't understand the depth of it right. and, and how God really wanted to redeem that and be part of that story. So that's something that I've really been working on in the last year of really allowing him to redeem that part of my story and actually having conversations like this that are hard and, mm -hmm. and, and understanding God's place in this. And my husband and I have, because we're raising four kids and, you know, we're like, we don't want them to grow up to, to have this fear of sex and conversations around it. Um, and so we've, we've been just changing terms of from sexual purity to se sexual integrity and mm -hmm. things like that, that we can just make that shift to, of why, uh, you know, answering the why questions right. of why do we want to have sexual integrity? What does that even matter? And right. just because we don't want to feel guilty and, you know, or because it's really part of a bigger picture. Right. Um, and I love in, as I have been kind of working through this, I was studying this and unpacking it more. And I love that in Song of Solomon, I used to look at that where it says to wait to awaken love until the right time. I used to right. look at that as kind of a, oh, okay, well, that's the call of true love waits, you know. Mm -hmm. But as I looked at it more, I realized there's no talk of, you know, avoidance or shame. Mm -hmm. um, it talks about this abstinence in terms of self-control and right. waiting until sex can truly glorify God the most. Right. And I realized, wow, that is so far off from the message the church is teaching, mm -hmm. that they're just teaching avoid, 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 you know, shame if you mess up. Right. Um, but it's not about glorifying God in this relationship. And so that has been truly eye-opening to me, right? as I'm sure it has been to so many people that are walking this road of really 
unpacking it. Uh, right. So let's talk about that a little bit of shame and trauma and guilt that people bring into a marriage relationship or that they're just, you know, maybe they're not married, but they're feeling that. Mm-hmm. How would you encourage people to navigate those conversations now help the church navigate to help people walk through the trauma and shame from their past? Yeah, it's um, beautiful points, first and foremost, that you that you make as well. And it's reflective of our more full understanding of the heart of God. Right. And the deception of the enemy. So as to make us think that the heart of our Heavenly Father is anything like the fallible heart of man. You know, yeah. and what, a lot of the time our failure to understand how he approaches us in the midst of this stuff, why he calls us to what he does. You know, the beauty of the instruction and the guidance in his word, but also the power of his grace and his redemption. A lot of the times when we fail to fully understand this, it can usually pinpoint a struggle with authority or fatherhood or relationship in the physical that has confused our perception and understanding of God's perfect and gracious and edifying and transformational love of us. And so I would challenge anyone who is pressed by this weight of shame, of filth, of it's all solely about avoidance or else dot, dot, dot. What became really healing for me was to dig down to the roots of why do I believe that 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 that, that God's heart to me is I better figure it out or he's going to give me the silent treatment. You know, right. like I better sort out this stuff or I'm not worthy of him sitting with me and walking me through this healing. And I could root to struggles even with my own dad, whom I love, yeah. whom I love. I mean, he's passed now, but... And I think I can look to relationships that I was involved in even before coming to know Christ, um, where the way I was treated or the way my messy parts were received or my humanity was kind of Uh handled were handled improperly. And what the struggle is, is that when we allow human relationships to, we, we all will battle this in some way, shape or form. But when we involve, when we allow our involvement with fallible people as we are too, to shape our perception of a perfect God, there's going to be issue. And there's going to be stuff that we have to root down and wrestle with. And I remember after I came to know Christ and I was really wrestling through this because the enemy's greatest, greatest tactic against us is silencing by shame. Shame is huge in regard to sexual sin. It feels different. It feels heavier. I mean, scripture says it is a sin against our own body. So it feels defiling. It is the very thing, sexual sin, that he will use and capture us with and keep us enslaved to that that hurts us so deeply because it's like our own dismantling of our own temple. You know, it's it's right, yeah. It really wounds and we become so ashamed, so defiled, we we really just fall into a place of silence or of deactivation or of shame that disqualifies we ultimately it's like this great tool he uses to just blind us to our worth in the father's eyes when i came to know christ and i was really processing through a lot of these very same things i came across the story of the samaritan woman at the well as well as the the adulteress to be stoned 
And what I saw when I read it for myself and when I studied the word for myself finally and, and sought the heart of God, show me, tell me, you know, if you're different than what I think you're like, uh, I'm starting to realize that we're not just meant to walk through life coping. Like you yeah. came to set the captives free. You came to break things off of us. And I feel like I'm walking one foot in the word and one foot in the world because I want to believe you for these bold promises. But at the same time, I feel filthy. I feel unworthy, yes. you know? Yes. So when I pressed in and said, God, show me and teach me. And he drew me to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he drew me to the adulteress to be stoned. What I encountered was this dignifying presence of Christ who went out of, if we think of the Samaritan woman at the well, he went out of his way with intention to encounter the shame yoked woman. Yeah. He was waiting at the well when she came mm -hmm. and he not only dignified her in conversation with a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman, it's very taboo. He not only steps far past what's taboo in our minds, but he sat by the well and he engaged her and it confused her that, that someone would give her dignity when she felt worthless. And he engages her in conversation that's not demeaning. It doesn't mock her. It's not... Any, it's not like any of the voices that she's known, hence why she's out drawing water in the heat of the day at high noon right. when no one else is out there. It's nothing like these other voices who know her reputation. And yet as she's engaging with him, he offers her this living water that she would never thirst again. And that's really appealing to her. But before he grants that, he um, addresses her deepest wound. He says, she wants it. She's asking for that living water. And he says, well, first go and get your husband. And suddenly what has defined this woman's life, he reaches in and touches. And I know when he's done that in my life in different ways, all I want to do is take off and run. <laughs> I'm like, yes, no, please, that hurts. That, don't no do that. Let's way. not touch on that. Let's not handle. This is, we just want to run. Yes. We don't really want to sit and wrestle. We don't really want to feel the depths of things. Yet he reaches and touches the depths of these things. And what was amazing to me about her is she didn't run. In fact, she was so thrown by the depths of what he would have known about her. She actually acknowledges his set-apartness. But she gets it a little wrong. She says, you must be a prophet. She doesn't even see the fullness enough. And he says, ultimately, what he says is, no, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for, the one who's come to save. And she, when she does run, when she does take off running after that encounter, it's not in shame. It says she actually drops her bucket and she runs back to the town that she came from. And I pictured it like this. It's she's running back with another man's name on her lips. Like what, what does that look like in our culture to see the sexually broken, to see the woman who has the reputation run back proclaiming the name of another man. But this time it was the name above all names. And it said many came to believe in response to that and they actually wanted Jesus to come into their town. And when I read this passage, I'm like, so not only did he wait, seek her out, was he the one yes. who initiated, but he also engaged with her past everything that was comfortable or taboo. And he also offered her all of himself, that living water, yet he did not do so in ignorance of what was defining her story. 
he, he reached down and touched that piece so as to break off what had defined her and write a new banner over her, one of redemption and one of salvation and one that the Messiah saw as worthy to be healed, that Jehovah Rapha desired to, to heal, that he wanted to pour that living water over. And it didn't just leave her feeling a little better and yet still walking back with shame of like, well, at least that one guy gets it. It actually activated her into evangelism. It broke the power of what had defined her off of her completely. And it sent her and activated her out in boldness because she had not encountered a shaming voice. She had encountered a saving voice that said, your story's not over yet. Like this is who Jesus was in my life. It was like all these things, your story, your, your, the name isn't written over your story and stamped and sealed and done while there's breath in your lungs. My grace is sufficient. And his grace is greater than just helping us cope. His grace actually sets us free. And so that type of love to encounter that changes everything. And it actually permeates by continuing to change everything because if we'll sit down and allow him to touch the tender places when it comes to sexual brokenness and experience the freedom that comes in light of surrendering all of that to him, man, then sitting down with him will become our rhythm. Cause that's like the hardest thing. I feel like yes, the yes. sexual brokenness seems like the most daunting. So if we'll even start there, Man, the rhythm of repentance, of sanctification, of returning to his heart, of turning back to his love that, that doesn't come to shame, but comes to actually set us free. Oh, it it, it's like anything, everything pointed out, God, you're so faithful. You're so good to handle it differently than anyone else in my life ever has. Right. Um, again, it comes back to how sex even prophesies him. We, he, in the garden, Adam and Eve stood before the Father in perfect oneness, naked and unashamed. And spiritually, it's, it's what God desires that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the faithfulness and love of Christ, he pulls off those fig leaves we want to hide behind, like Eve dodged behind in her sin. He pulls off, he disrobes this shame, this pain, this fear so kindly, so gently and he's bringing us back to a place where spiritually we can stand naked and unashamed before the Father because we've trusted him and we've, we've allowed him to heal and to transform and to sanctify and all of this stuff. Man, it's almost like identifying sexual sin and the brokenness and the shame there. When that's identified, all of this stuff, it's like scales come off our eyes to see yes. the heart of the Father more. And it's so powerful and so important. It's such a great reminder and encouragement. I love how you related the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I, I think that so many times we get caught up in the legalism or the, you know, whatever it may be that the church gets caught up in, well, this is just how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they get caught up in that narrative and forget to look at the way that Jesus encountered these topics. Mm -hmm. And that should be our basis of how we approach other people who have been, you know, caught in sexual sin or mm -hmm. how we handle it of, on our own. Right. Um, just to remember to love ourselves the way that Jesus loves us mm -hmm. and, and know, like you said, that 
he he overcame all of our shame and guilt and that we can walk in freedom from that. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for being so open and encouraging. I feel so blessed to have had this conversation and um, listen to you share today. As we close up, I want to ask you if there is any resource, anything that has helped you really rethink the world around you, a book, mm-hmm. a movie, a podcast episode, something like that, that's really helped you, helped you to rethink the way you look at the world. Yeah, that's um, great. It's sort of along the same lines, but um, I guess in a semi-different route, but my friend um, introduced me to a book called Holy Spirit Revivals by Charles Finney who was one of um, the most effective revivalists, um, Holy Spirit revivalists in history. And um, man, it's been a powerful resource for me to dig through because it truly shows the purity and the heart of the unabashed, like unashamed gospel and the fire that we can live by in sharing that and the essential nature of intimacy with God, prayerful intimacy with God in the process of doing that and um, the purity and the power of what comes in response. Charles Finney was so effective because his heart broke for sin. And so he unabashedly went wherever the Lord led um, to, to really like hold nothing back, to share the gospel to very much rebuke sin so as to redeem the created one who was bound by it. And, and, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's kind of interesting, especially even when we look at these conversations, conversations of sex and sexuality and brokenness and shame and all of this stuff. I think sometimes myself included, we can get a little caught up in how do I say this rightly to this person? How do I tiptoe? How do I stay politically correct? How do I navigate, you know, oh, so carefully that while that's a beautiful, compassionate heart posture that I, I mean, I have to have people around me who help me keep carrying it out because sometimes the sin that entangles us has a vice grip that it actually looks mean (laughs) or harsh to point it out. But when we love the person, It is powerful for me to look back to this resource and say, oh, it's the word of God that doesn't return void. And if that word is written on our hearts and that desire to not tiptoe around sin, but like the word says in the hour, he'll give you the words to speak. Like if we can depend wholeheartedly on the Holy Spirit and keep our hearts soft in that process, yet love without resolve because we we hate the sin and love the person. It's like in that hour, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to speak. And the Holy Spirit is perfect in delivery, compassionate where there needs to be compassion, raw where there needs to be, you know, raw truth, um, knowledgeable and wise. And anywho, this book by Charles Finney has just been really encouraging because he just unabashedly shares the gospel. And it's not always pretty or comfortable, yes. but revival came like crazy because the the spirit ministered to the heart of man just through him. And I want to function that way. So that's been a really beautiful 
an old book to read through. It's not like a new thing. It's, it's yeah. Um, yeah, historical. So I love cool. finding those old books that just have so much goodness in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're dense and rich and it's not, it's not watered down by, oh, yes. how now is a current modern church culture? Do we do X, Y, or Z? It's just like right. back to the heart and it's really, yes. really encouraging. Oh, that's so good. Okay, so what is something that is bringing you joy this week? Oh, that's a good question too. (laughs) It's dynamic. It's a super dynamic time right now. And it's been a really refining time. Um, But it'll sound so, so simple, but simply the joy of being present with my children um, Mm. in a fresh way has really done something well for for my heart. Um, Honestly, it's crazy. We can be surrounded by, like I have a four, a two and an 11 month old. You can be surrounded by kids 24 seven and, and still somehow get these waves, a new wave of seeing life through their eyes. And it teaches your heart a lot about the simplicity of loving well and of the simple joys. And, you know, in the midst of a lot of hard stuff, just the pure faith of dependence. Like my children never waver in being entirely dependent on me to meet their needs. Uh, (laughs) There's no like, There's no middle ground of will you mom or will you not? It's like all our eggs are in the basket of you and dad providing. So we're just going to fully trust in that and laugh along the way. And I'm like, I need to love God more like that. I need to remember he's really faithful. It's such a great picture of that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. um, Where can people find you online? Where where can they get your book? All that. Sure. Yeah. So um, on Instagram, just at Mo Isom, we engage quite a bit on there, but our website as well um, is moisom.com and they can find social media handles on there as well as blog posts, writings, videos. Um, but I will say too, if they go to the resource pages there or resources page, you can see about the books, where to get them. They're available through Amazon, through any retailer. Um, but also we have other resources on there as well. that are totally free that help walk people through healing and wholeness in this area An eight part video series Um other discussion guides, PDFs that help us cultivate conversation, even in groups. So if they just, if you jump over to moisom.com, you can find all the ways to connect, but also even more resources to kind of keep the conversation moving forward. Yes, I agree. It's so important for us to continue having these conversations, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's weird. And it's so important for the church to be the center of the place that we're having these conversations, not from a place of shame, but from a place of grace and and really God's intended purpose for sex. And so thank you so much, Mo, for joining me today to have this conversation. I hope you guys listening are encouraged and inspired to continue having hard conversations. Now, real quick, before we go for the day, I want to ask you guys to do me a big favor. I would love if you guys could go over and leave a review for the show on iTunes. Reviews are so important for podcasts. They help people find the show Um, They help in rankings and all the things behind the scenes within podcasting. And so if you could just hop over to wherever you listen to podcasts, leave quick five stars or write out a quick review. You can literally say anything and that's awesome. I would love it so, so much. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening each and every week. You guys are amazing. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Kara K. James. And finally, keep asking questions for a friend.